What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael. I'm here with my homie and my co-host, Mr. Tony DeSero. What up? And we're here with Matt Mason. Welcome. What's going on, guys? You're What's a up? special guest today, and uh, you are doing is direct support for uh, the Up and Up Festival that is happening uh, here in Dayton, Ohio. So we're actually going to do this kind of in two parts. We're going to cut away to uh, the pre-interview that we did before the show. We're going to talk a little bit about what Up and Up Festival is. Um, I'll read a quick thing about it here real quick, but um, we'll talk a little bit about like how it came to be, why it was in Dayton, uh, what your both of your roles were in that, and then uh, we'll cut back here to the studio and uh, talk about how it went after the fact. So, sound good? Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So, the Up and Up Festival. So, if you look on the website under About Us, it says, The Monster Energy Up and Up Festival is a pre-sale competition for students across the country to bring a top emerging artist to perform at their school. The Up and Up's innovative guerrilla ticketing system is simple. Students crowdsource demand on their campuses leading up to a 48-hour competition period, and the top colleges with the most pre-orders win a festival. So the series launched in 2016 with the headliner Cash Cash and expanded nationwide into uh, in 2017 and 18, featuring Alan Walker, Griffin, Two Friends, and Slushy, respectively. Uh, so they talk a little bit more uh, about it on the website. You can look it up at upandupfestival.com. Um, and they have kind of an interesting, uh, see if I can find it here, had like a timeline. Uh, so they talk about how the festival kind of went this year so in may 27th students started uh, applying online uh, july 22nd elefante was announced as the headliner for the tour uh, august 28th they unveiled the competing colleges september 10th the 48-hour competition went live and then october and november five college festivals happen so pretty interesting concept uh, let's cut away and uh, we're going to actually be at the venue which is mask we recorded at uh in the basement where there's actually some dressing rooms down there recorded a pre-interview and then come back and talk about how it went cool there you go see you guys <laughs> cool so thanks for joining us matt uh, it's good to have you here and yeah. on the show tony thanks for hooking this up buddy. absolutely man so uh matt introduce yourself if you don't mind to the audience and tell us just a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do as a performer and why you're here cool. uh yeah so um i'm matt matt mason uh i'm from long island new york um i started djing about a year year and a half ago i played my first like big show i would say it was like this time last year that's when i met tony and uh i'm here playing um up and up festival and direct support to elefante and uh, it's just nice to be back in Dayton. That's so a that's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. So uh, tell one of you, I'm not sure who wants to jump in, but t tell us a little bit about what Up and Up actually is. Like, what is that concept and how did it come here? You want to do it? You want me to do uh, it? Go for it. I got it. So Up and Up is, um, is a nationwide competition. And what they do, their like mission is they try to foster like a sense of community through these schools, like through music. And um, they throw a competition that is like, um, they announce an artist and then they have a bunch of hype leading up to that artist. Uh, they do a two day competition. So they release pre-sales to a bunch of different schools. I think the n number of schools normally ranges from like 40 to 60. I'm not sure how okay. many schools to compete, but uh, yeah, they, um, they run the competition and whatever schools, it's also a varying number depending on the artist and how they set it up. But 
it's normally like four to six schools and uh, they'll travel, they'll bring the festival to your campus. And it's really cool. It's like the students have the power to bring it in. So yeah. Wow, so it ended up here in Dayton. Yeah. As um, a, the contest winners. Yep. So when I was in school in Dayton, uh, we actually kind of pioneered the uh, festival here. So me and uh, my really good buddy Drew, um, him and I just tackled the ambassadorship for Dayton, and that was last fall for two friends. Okay. Yeah, and that's that was just like our uh, a real big jump into the music industry. You know, that's where we got our feet wet per se and then and yeah. remind me again how you guys came to know each other you said you met about a year ago yeah we met at up and up actually Chris oh at, Red, okay which is you know the group that i manage they were playing direct support that year and matt matt and drew i had to find out who these two kids were that got 1500 people in dayton to come out for two friends <laughs> i was fucking mind blown <laughs> you know I, we, and Crystal Gray, they got asked to play, and I'm on the stage, and I, you know, I was asking when they were doing soundcheck how many tickets were sold, and I forget who I was talking to, but they said 2,000. I was just like, you mean 200? <laughs> <laughs> no, 2,000. And it was it, it was great, and I had to know who the guys were that put it together, and it just happened to be him, which is direct support, and he did a hell of a job, or not direct support, I'm sorry, he was before Crystal Gray, okay. and he did a hell of a job as well, great stage presence, you know, hype. It was, it was great, you know, so that's how I came across Matt. And then I sat down with Matt and Drew and said, you know, who can we bring to Dayton that would sell masks out? And Lost Kings was the first words out of their mouth. So we booked the Lost Kings, and I gave, I gave them our three-dimensional Instagram login. They did all the promotion, everything for the show, you know, on that, on that level. And we did 700 people on a Thursday night for Lost Kings, you know, and, you know, just great – Great guy altogether, you know. He kind of reminded me of myself when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to connect. He asked me to, to help him out with some CDJs the night before Lost Kings. And, you know, yeah. Real quick before we move on, can you guys, just because I'm paranoid, make sure these switches are up on your. Okay, cool. I'm on. <laughs> cool. And, and just make sure we're talking straight into the mic here. Sure. I'm watching the meters over there, making sure they're moving. So. Sweet. Cool. So, yeah, so Lost Kings and Crystal Grid. So that whole thing was, was the origin of, of you guys kind of. The first Up and Up Music Festival in Dayton was our the origin. The first Up yeah. and Up. Okay, so, so it's, Dayton has won the contest twice? or Yeah, yes. this, wow. is, this is the second time around. How, how does the contest get won? It's by, by selling yeah, tickets? It's, uh, so whatever schools among like the vast majority of them that are competing, uh, whichever ones can pull the most pre-sales in. And then from there, wow. this kind of like uh, you have like a couple of weeks to set up venue, everything. I mean, I'm sure Tony could speak on the the back the back, behind the scenes strings of it, but they really do a great job and they do it for a bunch of schools. Um, wow, and we did that twice, huh? That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, the the first, the one that we were involved in with the ambassadorship, we sold I think it was 1,100 tickets in wow. 48 hours. Holy moly! And it was just an incredible campaign to be a part of because the whole campus really got behind it and it was just something that was so interesting to see because like I said before like up and up speaks on how they bring this sense of community and like UD prides itself on that community you know it's it's in their mantra it's their staple and being able to like see these two groups combine to create that festival and just like there was something about that night that it, it felt like there was just some sort of magic like in the air it was just such an awesome event. It was, I was so happy to be a part of it. And now, <laughs> a year later, I'm sitting down with you guys. It's just that 
event opened like a bunch of doors. I, I was able to make so many new great relationships that um, that was given to me because of like this festival. And yeah, that's yes, great. It's, it's, I have nothing but good things to say about Mind it. Mind you, it was 48 degrees and lightweight raining out Ooh. the yeah. first week of November. That makes a difference. It was cold, <laughs> and there was still 1,500 kids there. What was the venue? It was the Levitt Pavilion. Okay. The yeah. Levitt. Great so venue. you guys decided to do it indoors this time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I didn't have any say in that, but... Uh, you know, however they did it, whatever yeah. the, whatever the behind the scenes was on it. I'm excited though. I think that uh, it's cool because this festival like can adapt. Because you know, it, I think tonight's going to be a completely different show just because of the venue and the, obviously the artist different, but the feel of it. You know, that you go from Levitt sure. to like that that you know that uh, that outdoor the production on that is so different than mask and i think it's just going to bring a different element but it's so cool because the branding is the same you know it's still an up and up festival yeah so we we started to touch on that a little bit pre-show and we, yeah. were, we were kind of chatting behind the booth and, right. and it it is kind of neat because it it gets to stay in brand and you get to kind of do what the brand's supposed to be doing but at the same time give a different experience than the last time and it kind of gives you know a new set of memories for people to sort of attach to and remember and like oh that that was the up and up that was at mask or whatever yeah. and you know if you're going to do an, an indoor anything this is a great venue to do it yeah, you've got great absolutely. sound great <laughs> lights and and all that so so what time do you do you go on i go on at uh 10 15 my sets from 10 15 to 11 okay have you ever played here before i have um so my first experience with mask was it was before we even really got involved with up and up okay and um kind of like like my journey to where I'm at right now in just the musical realm um I when I was in school here um my really good friend Chad he was a DJ he's really experienced from uh indie and he came and he joined my fraternity and he would DJ all the parties and I was like just starting to get into EDM at that point um where I was like checking out a few festivals and really starting to see the genre for what it was. And when he brought the, he brought a pioneer, it was the DDJ, it was the SB2. Uh, yeah, the SB2, I'm pretty sure that we were talking about earlier. Um, when he brought that, I was like so mesmerized by it. You know, <laughs> like you have this, this fraternity party going on and uh, I could not leave like his side, just watching him twist the knobs and everything. Suddenly in control of the music yeah. in a different sort of way. Yeah, like the the way I like to liken it best is not playing music, and I just I think this stands true for DJs. You're able to connect with the crowd and have a different type of experience with people, where it's almost like having a conversation musically. And the connection that I feel with the people in the audience, like just being able to control the vibe of a room and really really affect what the crowd is feeling it's something that i don't think you can get anywhere else it's just such Absolutely. a unique feeling and to see him do that in in a fraternity party it was just it got me like so that made an impression on you definitely yeah. and um i started to just pick up on him i i'd start to see like how he was controlling and like what he was doing and i ended up picking up um an intro board and i would just mess around with that a little bit but that semester, at the end of that semester, um, Chad left to go to Icon. So he left Dayton to enroll in Icon, and he didn't need his SB2. So he left it with me, and he said, he's like, you, I really think you could do some cool things with this. You know, you the Created only a monster. Huh? Yeah, something like that, <laughs> I guess. And uh, so, yeah, I, I had it that summer. And um, at the turn of the semester, in the fall semester, uh, I came in to Luke 
and I asked if there was anyone playing the college nights at mask and I played him like 10, 15 minutes of a sample set and he said, all right, like you're booked. And that's when I really started seeing the club life and okay. the, the atmosphere at mask. So I got Good penned hustle. up in here. Yeah, I got penned up in here. I think it was September, the beginning of September. And it was just the craziest show because it was so <laughs> it was first the first show like first real show because I had played like a little bit of like basements of parties and stuff and just kind of watched spectated played a little but the first like real show um just to have that moment and like on campus too like all my friends got behind me and we really blasted it out I made my Instagram after that show like I, I hired a videographer he came into nice. like a little piece <laughs> and it was just it was so cool it was the experience that really like set me off and then I started doing the shows at Mask um, more consistently, like the college nights. And I remember sitting down with Luke. It was like five or six, five or six deep, and uh, not drinks, shows. Like, like, like they're, they're, uh, Very different uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I told him what we were doing with two friends. And um, I that was like the budding idea right there. But I don't think that, it, I mean, it was, we were in a club and it was the only time we really spoke about it, but I don't think that he thought, nor did I really think what was gonna come out of it, like that show at Levitt, that, that was, it was mind blowing. I didn't expect it, I don't think he expected it when, uh, when I told him about it. And uh, Tony, didn't he call you? Or you he drove to, by. Yeah, he drove yeah, he by. Said he drove by yeah. and we talked about it after the fact. Yeah, I was yeah. texting him a little bit here and there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> speechless <laughs> something it really was but yeah so that i'm excited to be back at mask tonight it's going to be really nice um being behind the decks here yeah, yeah. so uh what how, how would you describe your your sound like how, how do you approach your sets um musically i like when when i have events like like this like this one or like um like Lost Kings, when we, when we brought Lost Kings here, I was uh, direct support for them. I like to structure it in a way where I can like kind of um, prep for the artist to really like build that crowd to the point where they're high and ready to take on to, for tonight's case, Elefante. Yeah. That was something that I spoke with Tony at length, just like trying to capture that that vibe, that essence. Like it's being direct support there. You, you have a, like you're there to do a job. Yeah, and you have a certain you're, responsibility. Yeah, you, you're there and... Um, so I like to start out with like a um, like a techie house, like a deep house, and just kind of take them in the crowd in for that for like just kind of get the floor moving. So you like to set like a like a four to the floor. Tempo yeah, exactly. Yeah, four to the, the floor. Get yep. that pace going. Yeah. Okay. And um, once I'm like 10, 15 minutes in, like for tonight, 10, 15 minutes into a 45 minute set, I'll start to bring it up a little more with like uh, some harder progressive house, and then electro house mixed in so i'll do transitions gotcha. between progressive and electro and then uh toward the end i really like to use like the last 10 minutes of the set to bring the energy up and speed up the tempo kind of those okay. hard electric house and then i'll play like trap um dubstep and hard style for the last 10 minutes and just kind of get the crowd like amped up ready gotcha. so that energy is just peak for get that get their bass face on. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and uh yeah that's how i that's how i structure Okay, great. Stuff, yeah. So I'm curious, I mean, do, do you think that you would have approached your set any differently had this been an outdoor event again? Do, does the venue kind of come into play for you or do you kind of, I guess, do you prioritize your sound or the place you're at? I would if say that makes sense. I would say I definitely prioritize the sound. Okay. Um, 
but it's interesting that you say that because to be honest, I never even thought of that before okay. you just brought it up. So now I'm thinking <laughs> about it and um, thinking about the, the different elements of a show, like the flexibility that I would have to be able to probably use a mic at will and get out on stage like during a, a lull in my transitions, like to really get out there and capture the crowd and bring that energy up. You're, you're offered something different. So now that you're, you brought that up, I think that that's something I might use going forward, you know, taking the sure. venue into consideration. Sure. Yeah. Um, and what is your, the setup that you play on? Uh, what are you playing on tonight and what do you prefer to play on if those are different? Yeah. Um, tonight I'm playing on the, uh, the house CDJs okay. that, uh, mass cabs and they're, uh, they're insane pieces of equipment. <laughs> it's not, it's not every day you get to play on CDJs, especially for me. So, uh, yeah. it's, 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 I feel like spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel spoiled. This, this is a good place system. to feel spoiled. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. So um, I'm playing that, on the that in itself is a good thing because a lot of people, they they won't alleviate from their controller. Mm. You know, you've been playing a year and a half and you say you can't wait to play on CDJs instead of being nervous coming up saying I have to play on my controller. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That shows a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and I was in that position. Um, you know, it was it was before Lost Kings. I, that was the first show that I actually played on CDJs. And the, like Tony said, the night before, when, when just asked him, like, come in, just kind of give me some tips and tricks on these. I learned so much on them. And I just feel like there's a, there's a vibe of professionalism that comes with that. You yeah, know, yeah. To be able to step into a club and use uh, what, what I would consider to be industry standard uh, for for sure. the big names and everything. Just to be able to adapt to that and not back off because of the extra challenge. Now, props for, for you for taking that on yeah. uh, so so earlier in, in your journey because so many people, to Tony's point, either never do or they, they get dragged kicking and screaming into it. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's huge that you did that. Um, and when you're at home, do you use Rekordbox or what, um, where do you no, live there? I, uh, so I'm, when, I'm at Long, when I'm in Long Island, um, I use, I sent the SB2s back to Chad Okay. The SE2 back to Chad. And now I use um, my intro board, which is, I'm pretty sure, I, I honestly, it's the very small one. It's the one that I got. The Pioneer? Yeah, the Pioneer, um, the SB3 maybe. Okay. SB2. Is that a, a Serato? Yep. Okay, and, gotcha. And I'm a uh, Serato enthusiast. Yeah. I, I push a lot of our audience there. are Serato yeah. enthusiasts. Big, big <laughs> Serato guy. So, um, well, I, whenever I'm just mixing, or even if I don't have access to the board, uh, something that I found that I've been able to do is just pull up Serato and use uh, the W and the S key to keep like both tracks playing. Okay. And sometimes like if I'm just chilling, I don't really want to get the equipment out, plug into the speakers or whatever, I just want to listen off the laptop speakers. I found that I like can strike gold on that, just plugging in the right songs and just yeah, yeah. It's like this sounds I good do the together. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I think the Serato is really cool that you're offered that extra ability. You know, just you want to DJ on your laptop, you yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So direct support tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so 45 minutes. That's not a lot of time to say a lot. Um, but it is, though. It, <laughs> it is. I guess it's not from when you come at it from the context of, like, techno. Right. Techno or house. No, it's yeah. not. It's yeah. about five or six songs. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what is your mixing style like do you do a lot of fast cuts do you, are you effects heavy do you like to do long blends uh, I, what, what are you into when it yeah, comes to mixing I, i'd say just looking at my style from just an outsider perspective i i'd say i'm really big into like eight bar cuts 
Um, I'll do 16 is probably the max. I don't really do long transitions uh, just because I feel like it doesn't blend with the sound that I try to achieve. Sure. Like, you know, the, the music, the feel that I try to create. I, um, I, don't really, I stay away from that. It's I'll, hard to do with that kind of music. Yeah. For sure. And um, I really like running, uh, I like running drops at the same time, build-ups at the same time, and uh, cutting to drops. Like, cool, I, yeah. I think that especially build-ups um, that use vocals, run that with the build-ups that doesn't, doesn't use vocals and just choose whatever drop really suits. <laughs> I think it just adds that extra element. I really do enjoy doing that. And, um, yeah, I just say eight bars and, um, yeah, like those build-up transitions. Yeah. I, really, I really like doing that stuff. So in less than a year and a half, starting at Up and Up, 1,500 people. Yeah. Lost King, 700. Dayton to Daytona, how many would you say there? 3,000? Uh, yeah, probably 2,000 to 3,000 people. Yeah. And now you're flying back to Dayton, Ohio to open up for Elefante. Like, what are you expecting for tonight? It's been a wild ride. That's <laughs> um, In a year and a half, that's a lot. Yeah. You're fitting a lot of work into a short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of good experience that you're just really, I mean, you're hitting the ground running. It's really cool to, to hear it, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been so crazy just the uh, the amount of time that's passed. And I just, I, I see myself like, pushing past these I'd like to call them milestones in my music career in this in this journey and um tonight I I feel like it's going to be somewhat of a homecoming just coming back to Dayton you know uh I feel like one of the selling points for this show um aside from obviously Elefante being being the national headliner was um in a text blast a couple of friends had told me that up and up had sent out uh Elefante and um, Mason returning to Dayton, and that was just that hit me in the heart. Like, wow! Like, I'm I'm important enough to be included in the text <laughs> message that they send out, the text blast. That's great. Uh, That's awesome. But yeah, it feels like I'd say I'd liken it to a homecoming, and I'm just excited to get out there with uh, just so many people that I've had so many great experiences with on campus, and to be able to get them here, just have everyone. I think it's gonna be a great time. Expectations are high. Awesome. Well, buddy, you've been very generous with your time. I know you're, uh, you've are you got a lot to do, but uh, I did want to ask uh, maybe to kind of wrap this up. Uh, we spoke a little bit about your uh, your approach to your sets musically. Yeah. Um, what is your musical background, if any? What did you kind of grow up listening to? Did you play any instruments? And then the part two of that question would be, uh, what do you listen to when you're not DJing? Okay. Um, so my musical background... Um, so I come from a family of singers. I, I wouldn't say family. My mom is an avid singer. My dad, he was a singer. They kind of like sang duets together. And uh, similar. Yeah, yeah. They they had a very nice vocal blend. So I always grew up around that music, and I had uh, just my parents this were big, in choir and cantatas yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, I had this yeah. big Italian family. Okay. And um, my grandmother, who I lived with, my Grammy and my granddad for uh, since I was born. You know, I, I grew up always around them and my Grammy in 19 I was 52 but don't quote me on that I could have the year wrong she um she won Miss New York City in this nationwide uh TV thing and then she flew to Chicago and one of her uh like her talent she's a singer and an accordionist and um so music always, and even my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, it's just, it's always something that's been very uh, important to our family. And uh, growing past that, um, I started to sing at masses, like 
uh, Cantor at the ca okay. Catholic yeah. masses. Yep. And my mom got me into that. She's uh, very religious also. So she really pushed me through the door there. And that was my first experience really getting in front of a crowd. So I was like 14, 15 years old leading uh, a musical liturgy for okay. parishioners. And um, I've had my moments there, those, those nerve-wracking moments, almost like tonight, where it's like Christmas Eve mass, and, you know, the hall is packed out. But you've been in sort of a music leadership kind of role yeah, before. Yeah, and, um, and it's like or growing past that, coming to Dayton, um, the music side of me almost got shelved for a little bit because just life. And being able to be exposed to... Uh, Chad and just watching him DJ and having that exposition, it was like, I want this. I I, I feel like this is something that I can do, and like I, I gravitated toward it very hard. Um, that's really my background. I also took a uh, a music production course in high school. Oh, okay, um, that's cool. Yep. So we did. It was like a music theory course, and everyone had their own like workstation. Everyone was put in front of a Mac and like a pull-out keyboard under the desk. And it was like 40 minutes a day where, oh, wow. um, yeah, where we'd That's go pretty neat. and uh, we'd do that stuff. And interestingly enough, um, one of the people that I had class with, uh, he signed to Interscope Records. Um, yeah, is Drama Relax. He's a really talented wow. singer, rapper. Um, he's like on the up and coming. Um, and it's just cool seeing like, from that hometown, you know, people yeah. going and like taking the stuff that they learn in the classroom and using it, you know, uh, to that scale. Like props to him. What it, kind of software did you live in there? Uh, we used GarageBand to start, and then we moved to Logic. Moved you into Logic, yep, yeah, that makes moved sense. Into Logic, yeah. and they had like a little recording studio in the back too. Um, so for like my final project. I kind of remastered a Michael Bublé song and then recorded live vocals in the back oh, okay. over it. And um, cool. yeah, so that was that was a cool little experience. Um, but yeah, I think that's the extent of my music background. I never played an instrument like uh, I never took like instrumental classes other than that music theory class. But there was a grand piano in my house, and it was my Grammy's piano. And uh, growing up, she taught me how to play. Okay. So I have a little bit of piano now. I gotcha. The chords. And if, if you put, like, a sheet music in front of me, I could pick the chords out and okay. struggle through the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, what do you I, like to listen to uh, when you're not performing would um, be the part two. So it varies. I, I really like live sets um, just because I like listening to how other DJs blend together. Yeah. Like what their style like is. Like research. Yeah, 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 exactly. For inspiration yeah. maybe. And um, so I'm very big into like listening to live sets. I consider myself to listen more to live sets than I do to like a playlist. Okay. Like Apple Music, Spotify, that stuff. I really like seeing like the blend of how other people like myself would attack putting together yeah. a set in an environment. And it because... A new context. Yeah. For me, it's like... Uh, dance music and EDM, it, it's just, it's so much bigger than just the the songs. And yeah. uh, it's it's like environmental, you know, this guy's playing at Ultra, what is he bringing to the table at Ultra? As opposed to if he was playing the same, in like if he was playing Tomorrowland or if he was playing like here. a small room. Yeah, or here, yeah. right. So it's very, uh, I, I really like listening to live sets. Um, I would say the one artist that's pulled me away from that completely in recent time is Elenium. Okay. And that man, um, he, he's such an inspiration. Uh, his story, who, who he was and how he grew to the point where he is right now. 
and um, I feel like his music just pulls on the heartstrings. And mm. really, like even his most recent album, uh, I had the chance to go to um, to Marquee in New York City and see uh, his after party for it. But the way that man plays and how he evokes emotion through his songs is like it, it, I'm at a loss for words over it. But what kills me even more is like like I just spoke on the live sets. Uh, I'll listen to something that he threw together for Ultra or like an excision millennium back to back at Lost Lands. And he takes these songs that just pull the emotion, but these drops and, and the way he, 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 he amazes me. So I'd say that millennium's pulled me out of that like live set feel. Uh, huge millennium fan. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, Matt. Thank yeah. you so much for being here, Thank man. Thank you guys for being for on Passionate me. DJ. No, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah, been, take it's a been breather. A ride. Yeah, maybe have a, a beer. Yeah, maybe. Maybe like a single <laughs> beer. Maybe one. Yeah, maybe two <laughs> if we're pushing it. But I know you've got a lot to do too, Tony. So we'll yeah. let you guys go. But we thank go you so Mo's much. And pick up a mic. Yeah, <laughs> let's head over to Moe's. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thank you guys so much for thank having you, me. Thank you, fellas. Have a good show. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, so we are back here in studio, and uh, so I want to talk about this kind of from both of your perspectives, uh, what your, uh, how things went uh, overall for the night, from your perspective as a direct support DJ, and from your perspective as, uh, you know, behind the scenes making the, the gears turn and all that. Uh, so I guess we'll start with you, Matt. So one thing that I'd like to touch on is... In the interview, we talked about uh, your approach to your set. And I said, you know, what, do you think that you would have played it differently if it were in a different, you know, it were it smaller or bigger or, or something like that? Mm -hmm. And you would, you would responded that it wasn't something that you would put a lot of thought into. You just kind of, your sound was your sound. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, now having played that room, how you felt about the the sound and, and its role in the night, if that makes sense. So yeah. now that it's happened, are, are you happy with the result? Yeah, you know, I feel that um, just going off of the way that I planned the set and the sound that I tried to achieve, I felt that it was a really big hit. And I also feel like the venue itself built on the sound because mm -hmm. a lot of the set that I had played, um, especially toward like the meat of it, was uh, a lot of Electro House. And I felt like the sound system and just the, the atmosphere really amplified what I was trying to go for. And I felt like that was well received with the crowd too, where it was really, you could see that energy just going and the lights and the CO2 and everything just, it was, it was great. I think that, uh, yeah. I think it hit him on the head. That's cool. So, um, do you, do you feel that like, let's say it were the same venue, but none of the lights were on, you know, there's like a single, uh, light bulb in the center <laughs> of the room or something like that which would be weird yeah but uh, that would be techno it, it would be yeah. very techno yeah it'd be very rave yeah. but um would you still wish to have approached your set in the same way i definitely think that if if that were the scenario if we were dealing with the uh the twitchy light bulb um <laughs> i would i would probably have pulled back on the electro house and tried to set more of like a uh, a vibe that could be carried from I uh, probably would have built okay. on BPMs a little more, maybe started a lot slower and just kind of taken the crowd and ride. Gotcha. So tempo would come into play for yes. you. You would slow it down a little bit mm -hmm. or at least slow it down for longer yeah. and then ramp it up more gradually. Yep. Okay. So that's interesting. So um, what do you mean uh, on the other point as far as um, 
What, what did you? How did you put it? Um, I don't remember the exact wording, but I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to misquote yeah, you. <laughs> I would say that like uh, just just being able to take it from the the point of tempo and also the um, the genre of house that I would go oh, electro and, house, yeah, right. and go sift through. So. You would you would change the the genre that you're playing, or you is it like an energy level? Is it the 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 type of sound or synths that are playing? Yeah. What what is it that you would want different? What I've found in uh, through the time that I've been doing this is that um, I've seen that for the most part, uh, a lot of the tracks that I'm exposed to, the the subgenre is really telling on the energy level. So gotcha. I've always felt that a lot of the electro house and a lot of places where I get my music is I, I'm subscribed to B, BPM Supreme. So as I'm listening for new tunes and trying to pick out songs that might be good fits, uh, they have the subgenre listed and they have like the key and everything. But if I see a song's electro house and I'm looking for that, that energy, and even if it's by an artist that I don't really know, I'm definitely going to give it a listen through the drop. Got it. So so you're saying that you, you would probably change the genre but just because that's kind of how you determine the energy level yep yeah i that's pretty interesting because i think that is probably something that's maybe more true now than it than it used to be at least as far as beatport where it would be like you could look up electro house but you could have pretty minimalist electro house Mm. and and then that kind of changed probably you know as we started heading towards like 2010 but Chris Lake is. Did they consider him Electro House? Uh, I feel like they had a lot of his stuff under like Deep House yeah. and just. But he's still like he's still got a Electro sound. Yeah. He meshes his stuff with the newer sounds. So. But it is. And I haven't been to Beatport in a while though. Yeah. Well, that's that's fair. I haven't either. But <coughs> I've never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> no, so that's that's interesting because. I I guess it does make sense. Like in a modern context it's almost like we're talking about we're, we're talking about playing edm mm-hmm. and electro house is a certain level of energy and deep house is a certain level of energy and maybe tech house is some level of energy and that's almost how that gets categorized anymore and i've never really thought about it and it, that's not how i tend to think about it it does but, but i feel also that generations our style of tech house is different than their style I, of tech agree. house. I, I think that's what i'm acknowledging mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's that's fascinating yeah i mean something great that's come of it for me that i've been able to notice is that uh vetting for these subgenres, i'm now able to take an idea of a set and what i kind of want to achieve going into it and have like a really wide roadmap and it gives me the opportunity to go through these songs and there there might be a song there that was written or uh produced by an artist and I would have never given it a look because I just maybe didn't know who the artist was. But now that I'm looking for that sound, I might have, I might stumble across a gem. And mm-hmm. it's it's nice because I'm now able for myself to really open up my musical palette. It helps me learn about new music and new artists that I never even knew existed. I was stuck on that for years. Like it was either a specific label. I was going to say an, I didn't do artist. labels. Yeah, and that and that's definitely different generationally. You know, between generations of DJs. There's so much music that comes out now that. Yeah, and yeah. label means something different than it mm-hmm. did. They, they were almost like the DJ was a level of curator, and then the label was a level of curator, and there was all these, and it's just a different world 
you know, in this, in this digital landscape, it just doesn't work the same way. Right. Everyone's kind of a label and kind of a promotion mm-hmm. company yeah. and kind of an everything. Did I'm you, a, um, did you deviate from your set at all? Uh, no, I, I didn't really have to. Yeah. Um, there were only a couple of points where, uh, like I never deviated from the song structure, mm-hmm. but I brought songs in at different points that I just had to, because whether I got caught up in the music or the sound places that I wanted to bring them in, I couldn't. I just had to kind of switch things up on mm-hmm. the fly. I know. I noticed the the guys that played before you. They played um, pretty heavy bass music. Yep. And they were they were draining it. That's for sure. You know. And you came in and you brought that house, and it was just a complete different vibe from that point on. And it was. I mean, not that their vibe wasn't good. You know, people were into it, but where you took it to Elefante, you did a good job. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank so, you. And he's not blowing smoke. I mean, he commented to me on the side. He was like, I kind of dig the sound i was like yeah Yeah. me too appreciate that guys Mm -hmm. thank Um, you so from your perspective tony the 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 one thing that i saw and and by the way we're gonna release some some other additional youtube content about the night oh cool Uh, we do uh we started a series called day of the big show and so that was why i was tagging along following tony everywhere (laughs) while he was working trying to stay out of his way uh just you know shooting video and stuff yeah so that'll be coming to our youtube channel uh youtube.com slash passionate dj um but anyhow um the thing that i saw when i was following you around the the big problem right before the show was microphone Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. so we showed up and it was was it elefante that needed to use Mm -hmm. the the mics and we showed up and they weren't working properly right and so that was kind of like the the panic moment you know right before mm-hmm. the show um how did that go and how did you resolve that um at first it went shitty <laughs> um we couldn't figure out because their mic their wireless receiver was plugged into their function one mixer um it was just the other mic when you would turn both of them on you would hear a mic you would turn one of them off you wouldn't hear either mic and even when you barely turned it up, it was just constant feedback. So instead of me dealing with that, I just reached into the network, which Mo um, called him up. Well, I didn't even think of Mo at first. I called Nathaniel at therapy first because that's we had the same issue with Lost Kings. You know, they used the mic. They didn't sing on it, which Elefante was singing on it. Um, you know, they were just doing a couple shout outs and whatever, yeah. and they just turned it down and it was fine, whatever. But um, this guy was going to sing and I didn't want to mess with anything or try and rewire their stuff. I wanted to get something that I knew was legit and was going to work. So, and, and side note, the way the venue set up, it, I mean, it pretty much has to be a wireless mic mm-hmm. because if he's going to go out and interact with the crowd yeah. at all, because the, the DJ booth is, while it's very close to the crowd, it's very inaccessible <laughs> to the right. crowd. It's not like you can just hop over or jump on the booth or, you know, it's not really set up that way. Right. So wireless was key. Mm-hmm. So we needed to get that working. Yeah. So, uh, um, so I just reached out to the network and um, then I don't know if it was you or if it just hit me, but I was like, wait a minute, Mo has to have a wireless mic, having a, a mobile DJ rig and a setup and whatever. So I called him up and... Um, he was working out and he couldn't come. So, uh, we ran to his place and got his big ass backpack. And, um, (laughs) it was huge. And I was just thinking it was just going to be a small receiver. You didn't realize it was like a, it's at least a one. It was a rack mount. mount. Yeah. 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 You know, with a power conditioner in it and his XLRs were only, I think four or six feet long. Yeah. Yeah. They were short. 
and I couldn't put that pack up on the decks because there was no room whatsoever in that booth to put that thing. And even if there was room, aesthetically, it would have looked like shit. So It was so funny. So we were trying to, right before that, you had scheduled an interview with you, Matt, and we were trying to, to get down there to do the recording, but this was happening right when we were supposed to be recording. <laughs> and so we were kind of waiting and kind of like, uh, and, and Tony was like, you might have to go without me. And we were kind of, we were waiting till the last minute and I knew that you had things to do. <laughs> and so all that's going on. And then finally it turned out that it was good that we had kind of a, a mobile podcasting setup there because yeah. um, I had, you know, 25 foot, heavy duty braided xlr cables mm. that we actually needed to use to to test that rig and get it going so you should have got that on it, footage yeah. us, us, us messing with those cables trying to get it into tony for the day of the big show oh yeah, yeah. Out in the parking lot yeah, yeah. yeah so matt and i were out there out in the parking lot and because we were in such a rush trying to get things going i had just grabbed all those cables after we were done with that interview and i just threw them in the back of my trunk and I was like I'll sort this out later and then Tony's like I need XLRs <laughs> <laughs> shit so we go up yeah. there get it out of the trunk and we're like standing you know 10 feet apart trying to untangle the spaghetti you know in the middle <laughs> of the parking lot before we go in and I can imagine because just one of those I was trying to wrap one up and I had to like twist it mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a self-induced problem yeah. I fully admit but <laughs> you probably just didn't know later was going to be like an hour later right? <laughs> <laughs> right I thought I'd be like casually sitting in here and yeah right it, so uh, anyways I don't know but um, having said all that it worked out you know reached out to yeah. Mo we went to Mo's got it luckily uh, Elefante was only staying a block away so they went back to the hotel and met us back at the club at 830 and um, that's when that whole XLR scenario went down. And he, he stayed pretty chill and, mm -hmm. and cool about everything, all things considered, that this yeah. was like kind of a requirement for his set. Right, and, right. And we were like at the last minute like, oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, it worked out, you know. I always talk about the yeah. network and it's definitely the net worth. It, it was funny when I was I was kind of tagging along with you guys, you know, in the, the back seat while you're driving around running errands, and you had to stop by and feed your dog real mm -hmm. quick. <laughs> the whole thing, and I was like, "This is why Tony lives downtown." Right, right. <laughs> like because you were able to just bam, 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 knock that stuff out. Yeah. You know, in less than an hour, we were back there and things were going. That was pretty cool. Um, so were there any other uh, problems that I missed because I was down setting up? Any other? Not snags? at all. Everything no, went pretty smoothly went during smooth. the show. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Um, so, uh, how back to you, Matt? How was the? Uh, I'll say the the crowd response to to your set. I mean, uh, I know you said you were happy, but I'm assuming that's because yeah, <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, I felt that. Um, I felt that I got a really good reception, and you know, it's always great just just putting yourself up there, being in that position. The amount of nerves to fly through your head, at least for me. Uh, how how is this going to be received? You know, I put I put a lot of work and effort into this product, and um, now I'm just kind of like giving my hard work to a crowd, and um, it, it's just such a great feeling. Um, you yeah. talked about uh, the the pre gig jitters a little bit before mm -hmm. the show. I hope I'm not blowing your spot up. No, there, not at all. <laughs> Those um, are very real. Yeah. So, <laughs> how long did it take you to to shake that once you were behind the decks, or did you? Um, you know, once uh, once Tony was setting everything up, switching things back and forth, I had like I'm pretty sure I said in the pre-interview, um, my first song that I played was like almost a two-minute edit. So I didn't even really once I hit play on that first song, I had some time to really 
get there, get accustomed. Tony did whatever he had to do. And then once I hit the first two or three transitions, they were all like deep house transitions. It just felt great because they flowed into each other. It almost felt like it was just a 10 minute song. That's exactly song. my experience in that same room. Yeah. Like once I hit that second or third transition, I'm like, Oh, that's right. I know what I'm doing. Why am I freaking out? <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that the crowd reception was great. And once I was up there playing, you know, it was, it was so great to be back at mask back in Dayton yeah. and it just felt like a homecoming. So you know? y- this is, you're, you're at what one year of doing this or more than a year. Yeah. I'm about my first show was, um, was last November, but okay. I, I'd say I started like DJ and tinkering around with um with a board about a year and a half ago. Got it. So so you've built like quite a resume in that amount of time. Yeah, I mean it's been unreal. The, we the were talking about that off camera, like just that we were like, wow, he's like really making moves quickly. Um, how do you feel about keeping that pace? And what's if you do want to keep a, a, an aggressive pace like that? Uh, what's kind of next for you? Yeah, you know, to be honest, um. I really don't look at it that way as if I'm keeping a pace. I've just kind of tried to make the most of every opportunity that's crossed my face. And I feel like I'm blessed enough to have these opportunities keep coming. And all I can do from my end is I, I really want to put the gears in on production and really mm-hmm. start um, growing that part of, of this art. And, you know, kind of taking... Um, edits a little deeper being able to yeah. use different elements of production in that sense uh so for me the next step would be to really grind that but at the same time you know djing is just it's so much fun i feel like it really yeah. brings out the best in me I like all the qualities that uh, you look in the mirror and it's like i like that about myself you know i feel like that comes out behind the decks and i'm able to communicate that with the crowd so to keep i guess quote unquote the pace you know um keep close with you <laughs> you know <laughs> uh but no i just just make the most of whatever comes and uh just try to position myself in ways where uh people that are looking for an actor an artist or something to do you know they'll maybe they'll think of me and i'd be happy to do it that's an amazing and thoughtful answer my friend i appreciate that <laughs> where can our followers or our our audience follow you and don't always depend everybody to think about you yeah you got to stay in their face especially today Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of presence a lot of artist presence mm-hmm. you're, you're really right about that yeah i i guess I, i've been lucky enough to have people you know have me in mind because the up and up and then what, what work we've done but yeah, uh, yeah. At, at the end of the day that that is the bulk of my work and uh with dayton to daytona so um definitely taking that tony you're very right about that I feel like putting myself in people's faces could bring me to a next level. And I guess a lot of that becomes the, the self-confidence, the battle within, like, are you, mm-hmm. are you ready to take that on? And that's, right. that's definitely a question that I ask myself, like, are you ready to try to take that next step? You don't know if you're going to fall on your face. You don't know if you can sure. hit the ground running, but it's got to be willing to do it yeah. a, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we're, we're glad to, to promote people who are on their hustle and oh, yeah. serious about it. So yeah, please share uh, anything that you'd like to, uh, if you've got a SoundCloud or MixCloud or whatever you got Facebook okay. page. Um, yeah. So, um, the way I keep in touch with uh, my followers the most through Instagram, um, I have my Instagram, it's Mason, M A S I N underscore music. And, uh, just post a couple of pictures from, uh, from whatever shows I've done, you know, just, just kind of like following the journey. And um, my SoundCloud is uh, also Mason underscore music. And on there, every 
mix down that I've done for all of the shows that we've talked about on air. Everything that I've been a part of is on there. So at Mason underscore music, he is Mason. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you so for much, coming David. in the studio you, and yeah. doing this with us. This has been so great. You yeah. guys are awesome. Thank you, thank so you, Tony, much. for hooking it up. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. And keep on spinning.